Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where I know you are just as amazed as everybody else that we managed to pull off a second show in a row. Well, it was touch and go there for a few minutes. It, it was, uh, yeah. But we got to figure it out. It's working. It sounds decent. We hope. Probably. Well, you know why we were able to pull off another show. Why? Because we did not have any in-studio guests this week. Well, yeah, that's true. That, that unfortunately, we were expecting to be able to welcome Kimi Raikkonen in. However, um, with the storms that rolled through in the, the uh, Chicagoland area this weekend, his flight was canceled and he didn't get to fly in from Switzerland. Was that his story? Or is that what you understood from his voicemail that he left you that said, I heard flight and weather. Oh, you got flight and weather. Yes. Excellent. So I, I just, I, that's how I translated the rest. I think what he actually said was, I didn't get a flight because I dislike the weather. Well, knowing Kimmy, it was actually that he couldn't make it because he had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Remember, that was an, an, a bit more explicit, but that was the reason why he didn't go to some ceremony that was uh, honoring Michael Schumacher. Is, uh, as he said, he um, had to go and take a dump. Excellent. A bit more explicit than that. That is Kimmy. <laughs> but, yes, we uh, do not have an in-studio in guest this week. Therefore... We have a show. So, remember back? No. Oh, about a week no. ago. Actually, yes, we, we talked about it a week ago, but the story had come out about five days earlier no. about how Pierre Gasly um, wasn't doing great for Red Bull, but... And, and really needed to, to turn things around and start driving better, but that Red Bull had absolutely no intention of replacing Pierre Gasly. Remember that? Oh, I remember that. But I remember also saying that they had not called him one heck of a guy yet or that he was a nice guy. So we were kind of thinking he'd at least have another race under his belt. Yeah, we kind of thought that. And then, you know, the day after we recorded that episode, before I even had a chance to edit it, they fired him. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know, you, you could have at least waited 24 hours. Announce it on Tuesday. Not on Monday before I have a chance to edit the podcast after we've already talked about how you said, it, oh, we're not going to get rid of him. He's just got to start doing better. No. It's the fact not that Christian cool. didn't call you and give you a heads up. It's really chapping your bottom, isn't it? Well, you know, Jerry and I were having a conversation, and he could have at least spoken to her. If she had told me, we would have been fine. You were having a conversation with Jerry? Yes. Excuse me? What? It was a conversation. I don't care. This is, this is a new development that I am unaware of. Well, you know, it, it wasn't all that impressive, but, you know, we thanked him. Okay, she's a Spice Girl. She can't be that deep. See, there you go. She had to tell me about the dogs. The dogs. Yes. That's, that's your common conversation is the dogs. Well, she wanted to let me know the latest issues that they were having with, with uh, Bernie and Flavio. Mm. We all have issues with Bernie and Flavio. Yeah. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you to move on. Oh, I was wondering if you were going to move on, because that's where you went. Because I'm really, really not happy about the timing of this news. They could have done this on Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday would have been fine. But no, they had to announce it on Monday, the day after we record the show, and before I had a chance to edit. So I'm like, geez, we've already missed two weeks. I can't pull this show down, too. So we got to put it up there. This is ridiculous. This is what happens in the world of news reporting, especially when we are like a week old news reporting. Well, the other thing, though, is that in all honesty, if we had a production crew, <laughs> they could they could have handled all of the editing and 
and, and publishing immediately after we finished recording, like, oh, a, you know, somebody who gets paid, as opposed to us, where we're like, well, we got to slot this in. And, you know, it's been a long weekend, so we'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on this idea that we would have a production crew. Because <laughs> let's put it this way. Let's remind ourselves. We do no pre-show prep. We, we would some. have post-show prep? Well, we, we do that. I mean, the show does get edited. Yes. And it does get posted. So there is that. Post-production. It would be that somebody work, yes. would be doing that post-production work in a timely fashion as opposed to the next day. Well, that would be possible. Maybe Red Bull should fund this for us. Because they made you so angry that they demoted Gasly and promoted Albion without giving you at least a heads up. Well, it would be Albin. Albin. Well, I'm sorry. It's too close to our son's middle school. <laughs> yeah, well. So what Red Bull had to say, what they're saying is going on, is obviously this is a chance for Pierre Gasly to try and figure out where he has had this drop-off in performance. But they're also saying that Red Bull is in a the unique position of having four talented Formula One drivers under contract who can be rotated between the main team and Toro Rosso. The team will use the next nine races to evaluate Alex's performance in order to make an informed decision as to who will drive alongside Max in 2020. Now, what I don't understand here is they weren't evaluating Alex's performance before when he was over at Toro Rosso. Okay. They're one big organization. They share the same motorhome. They probably share the same data. They're not supposed to. They probably share the same data. They're not supposed to. Well, some data they can share. Other data yeah. they can't share. But, yeah, they've been, but they don't know how it's going to translate to the top team. Keep in mind... Albin's been driving the wheels off the Toro Rosso. Awesome. But we've seen drivers do well in Toro Rosso that fall flat on their caveated faces when they get <laughs> to Red Bull. True. So they have to try him out in, you know, the grown-up car. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But, uh, yeah, Alex Albin. The new Toro Rosso driver, or Red Bull driver. And top tip for our dear friend Pierre, um, I'd dust off your resume. Because well, I don't think you're lasting very much longer. It depends. And I say that because, one, if he manages to avoid going into the tailspinning funk that Danny Kvyat went into when he got demoted, he could retain the seat at Toro Rosso. Because keep in mind, the, the conveyor belt of young drivers into that team right now is empty. Right. I mean, Honda might have a junior, but I don't believe, from last I heard, the, the potential candidate that Honda might have coming up um, doesn't have eligibility for a super license. That would slow you down. So there, there's not a whole heck of a lot of competition for that Toro Rosso seat. Well, let's hope he doesn't go into a tailspin. Maybe they've got better psychologists that would help I, him out as opposed to what helped Kvyat out? I don't know about that. I mean, it's pretty devastating that you have to continue to drive for the junior team after getting called up. It's like getting sent back to the minors and baseball yeah it, it, it kind of is that um and I, I i think in in that perspective it's probably a better situation than just about any other team because if he was at any other team and this had happened he would be completely and totally out of a job he wouldn't be bounced down to to a junior team he wouldn't even be bounced down into uh f2 he would be out of a job completely so in, in, as, as much as folks like to beat up Toro Rosso for how they try and rev drivers through their system and how um, they can 
come off as fairly ruthless when it comes to their their driver selection and how they, they go through and screen all that stuff. The reality is, in a situation like this, there's more of a safety buffer that's available to him than a driver any other team. I mean, if, if George Russell imploded partway through the season, he'd be done. Well, yeah, but in any other team, the likelihood that they'd make a midseason switch even with an implosion, is pretty slim. Don't know. Okay, look at Grosjean at the old Lotus when he was the first lap nutter. And before he got the the one race ban, they weren't moving him anywhere. Well, where that had really started to come apart was already after the, the, um, the summer break. I mean, it was Spa that things started to, to get pretty bad. And they sorted it out, but yeah. But in general, we don't see, we have not seen. Yeah, in, Pastor Maldonado su- survived a season, so yeah. More than one. Yeah. Um, but we don't see other teams rotate their drivers midseason, at least in our time watching Formula One. Now, I know that it has happened in the past. But Red Bull is very quick to pull that that lever. Nobody else is that quick. You know, yeah, you're right. Because I think only Toro Rosso has been the, the only team that's really cut folks loose in the middle of the year. It, it's either been a Red Bull or Toro Rosso. It's been really nobody else in recent history. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so while we're talking about Red Bull and Honda... Um, Honda is getting ready to roll out the next spec of its engine. After two wins, they've found some other areas where I guess they can continue to improve upon the engine. So they're trying to figure out now where it makes the most sense to go and replace that engine. Because at this point, to do an engine or a spec change for engines uh, means there's a penalty coming. So what you're looking at is you've got Obviously, the next two races are Spa and Italy, which are both high-power uh, tracks, mm-hmm. especially Italy. But then you have Singapore. Yep. Singapore is a track that traditionally plays into Red Bull strengths. Right. So that's the question is, well, do they go and take the penalty for Spa where they can run potentially even um, without a penalty, and if the spec works out well, get some additional speed that's needed for Monza, and then go off to Singapore, where they're ready with this same engine spec in a track that suits them, or do you maybe suck it up for Spa, take the penalty in, in Italy, and then go to, to Singapore? I think you have to bag Monza. I think that's the one you bag. If I'm Red Bull, I take the penalty in Monza. and From the perspective of pure power, they're just not there. They're not there. And it would be awesome if you could see somebody come back from the, you know, work their way through. You've got passing possibilities at Monza. You know, even from the back of the grid, they'd probably make it into the points. Yeah. Um. So I think that's where you take it if you have to do it, if I'm Red Bull. Well, we'll see what happens. But Because suppose if they've decided they're not sharing it with us yet. I, I would have thought that, you know, your buddy Jerry would have spilled Christian's secrets. No, apparently she's not telling me anything. Maybe she's not your buddy. Apparently not. Just saying. Apparently not. You know who I probably need to talk to? Christian's admin. <laughs> they probably know everything. Well, they know all the dirt. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so, the other big question that is circling around Honda right now is whether or not they will continue to be a constructor in 2021. They would put all of this money into... Coming back into the sport, failing, 
changing teams, succeeding, than to not continue forward? Well, that that's the question. As of right now, the leadership at Honda has not made a decision as to what they want to do. Um, the, the big goal that they set for this year, which they haven't fully done yet, is they wanted to best um, Red Bull's last season with Renault. Okay. So when it comes to podiums, they're not there yet. When it comes to points, as of right now, even with Pierre Gasly struggling, there is a pretty good chance I'll pull that off. Okay. But there's no question. There's no answer as of yet as to whether or not Honda is willing to commit past 2021. Um, what the the head of uh, Honda's F1 division has said, though, is that in terms of um, everything that they can do at this point, they've pretty much done everything. Ha- and and in terms of significant places to have their wins, short of Suzuka. The win in Austria was probably the best location for them to have it. Oh. Because of the fact that it's Red Bull's home track. So that puts some some push from Red Bull to say, hey, this might be worth continuing. Now, should they win at Suzuka, that could push them over the edge. I bet. I bet. And Suzuka is potentially a track that the Red Bulls could do well at. Or at least a Red Bull could do well at. Max could, but it's also another one of those driver favorite tracks mm-hmm. that one Mr. Lewis Hamilton really likes and seems to do pretty well at. And um, and I think that's the thing with, with the new aero rules and, and the fact that uh, the, the cars are taking some of these corners at a higher speed than they were in, say, 2012 and 2013 and 2014 when Red Bull was having their huge string of success. It may not be as strong a track for them as it has been in the past. Right. Because where their advantage, just to remind our newest listener somewhere, I'm sure, <laughs> um, Red Bull's advantage is in the corners. They can take the corners... Faster, they make up time in the corners, but they do that at a sacrifice of straight line speed. Well, that's what their strength has been in the past, more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But Mercedes, and, and that's been the big question around Mercedes this year, is Mercedes changed their focus going into this year specifically to be faster around those slower corners. And that's why Mercedes has had the success that it's had at the tracks that it has, that it has had. The question becomes and it, where they're still struggling is cooling in the car. Mm-hmm. Because in theory, with the change in philosophy over at Mercedes to be faster in those slow corners, Singapore should be a stronger track for them. Correct. However. It's hotter than hot. It's hot and it's humid and they're struggling with cooling. So, yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting one in two races time to figure out what we do for Fantasy GP and what's going to happen there. But trying to predict that one, with because initially my thought was, yep, just assume it, it, it's Singapore. They're, they're going to tank it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know now. But we did that last year and he won it. I know. I so, know. yeah, that's what I get for listening to you sometimes. <laughs> so, since we are in the summer break race, doldrums as it were i mean the the good news is that some of the teams are back this week mm-hmm. some, some of the, the teams, teams will be off back. the following week but but some of the teams so there are some things happening. which by the way mercedes put out um a series of videos and, and they're having a sale by the way on, on their merchandise if you go over there um but they put out a series of videos um i guess in the attempt that you know red bull in the past has done this of summer break rolls around and their press folks put out some Silly videos and tweets and stuff like that. Mercedes tried the same thing. Their videos sucked. Oh. Well, they were bad. It was this whole idea of even when we're not racing, we're still entertaining. So there was one of some folks who were sitting in a, in a laundromat and 
somebody wearing a Lewis Hamilton helmet and an ill-fitting race suit starts breakdancing for them. Yeah. Or the guy who is sitting in the lifeguard chair at the pool and somebody in a Lewis Hamilton hat and a ill-fitting racing suit goes by on water skis really fast. and Yeah. They need to try harder. Um, I would have expected better from Mercedes. Okay, but I don't necessarily think that their social media people are as adept at this as the formula, uh, the old Force India team and some of the Renault people. Mercedes was decent. I'll be honest. I have not been following them on Twitter any recently. I have not been on Twitter regularly like I used to. Mercedes used to do some good stuff. And, and it was actually, it was the play between Mercedes, Force India, and uh, Renault that used to be fantastic. So it was the three of them. Okay. I just always remember that Force India had game. Force India had very good game at it. Um, but anyway, some of the teams are back, and, and some of the personnel are talking to the press. Cyril Abitbull has, has offered some opinions about um, the way racing could be better, especially in light of um, the fiasco that was Paul Ricard. Oh, okay. So what Cyril says is that the way to fix the racing and to make racing better isn't to do what Formula One has been doing and focus on the cars and the design of the cars. He says that actually they need to re-engineer the tracks. And oh. that that's more cost-effective. Well, it would be because all the money that Renault has put into their car, they would not have to change anything and we could just go to different tracks. Well, they wouldn't have to change as much. Um, and of course the teams wouldn't be responsible for making changes to the tracks. Exactly. I mean, he's, I don't, I don't think he's 100% wrong. Oh, I don't either. I just find it, again, very much like uh, our friend Christian Horner said that, you know, do you do the right thing for the sport or do you do the right thing you for think, the team? Think bigger than your own team. Yeah, this is definitely a, it's a team move. You, you change the tracks, you keep the specs the same. That makes sense. Is it feasible? Is it realistic? Probably not so much. Well, Except if we never go back to Paul Ricard again, no one will cry. I know, but we're going to do that. And Bernie's going to be very happy because he's going to get his royalty payments from us. <laughs> you know, I think that's what chaps my bottom about Paul Ricard in general. It's not just that it's a bad racing experience. It is. I hated that. It was not just that it was a dull as a dirt race. It's the fact that Bernie's getting paid for that level of mediocrity. Yeah, the the man who is all about the show and we need to do stuff to improve it. And you know, for for somebody who proposed sprinklers. Right. Paul Ricard has sprinklers installed. But we're not using them. Maybe maybe they should. Maybe one of the 9,000 configurations that Paul Ricard has is better than the one they used. I don't think any of them are. The bottom line is that Paul Ricard is a circuit that is not designed for racing. It is designed for testing. It is a test track that can host races. And because of that, it doesn't produce good race. And then you add on top of it the fact that there's, you know, three shopping malls worth of runoff. It might as well be a parking lot. Mm -hmm. um, I have how to save Formula One. It's just hit me. I know exactly what we should do. Have a race in the parking lot of Pro Robbie Stadium in Miami? No. Oh. <laughs> that will not fix Formula One. Okay. What is this week's solution for fixing Formula One? <laughs> Pull preseason testing from Barcelona. They've okay. gone to that enough. It's done. We okay. all know Barcelona so well. <coughs> Do preseason testing at Paul Ricard. Period. It's a test track. Use it for what it's leveraged for. Well, so so we we've had people ask that question, and I think we talked about it last year too. Is that yes, it is a test track, and yes. 
Formula One teams have used Paul Ricard extensively in the past. For, from what I have heard from the teams and, and the reporting on Paul Ricard is that for modern Formula One cars, Paul Ricard is terrible for testing because it does not simulate the dynamics of running a Formula One car on pretty much any track. Oh. I figured that they could come up with a configuration that would get them somewhat close. Uh, from, from what I have heard from, from looking at the reporting, it's not possible. It, it's one of those things that it, it's kind of mediocre in what they can do with a Formula One car and the data that they can get running form, modern Formula One cars at Paul Ricard. And I think that's one of the other questions for some of these other tracks that they have gone to in the past. Um, they've tested at uh, Estoril in Portugal, and they, they've tested at, um, oh, there was a, not Fancia, one or two c circuits in Italy that they've done some testing at. I would like to see them do testing somewhere other than Barcelona. I think that's part of the reason why they're racing at Barcelona is as bad as it is, is because the teams know it so well, the drivers know it so well, there's nothing unexpected about that track whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So do the testing somewhere else. There's There's got to be tracks out there that simulate the dynamics of multiple different circuits accurately. Okay. So next problem, next solution to mm -hmm. solving all of Formula One's problems. Instead of a race in the parking lot of Pro Rabi Stadium, we cancel Paul Ricard mm -hmm. and do a Formula One race in downtown Paris as the French Grand Prix. That would be awesome. The Parisians won't let him in. It was a landmark for Formula E to get in there. But Paris will not let it. Paris is trying to cars out of the city <laughs> I, I i realize that but it would be awesome where formula one should go is where they used to race in in france at magna course yeah that's what we hear is supposed to be a fantastic track for formula one that's where they should go because i think there still should be a french grand prix i'm pro french grand prix anti-paul ricard and it is much as I wanted to see Formula One go back to the Netherlands, not really sure we're going to get a good race there either. Mm. I think that that race is really going to be much more about the fans than it's going to it be will about be. the race. It will be. It'll be the fans more than anything else. Yeah. But that's one of the other questions of maybe one of the design changes they make is for narrower cars. Hmm. We've talked about that in the past. Mm -hmm. Narrow the cars so that they're not so, so wide that you can't pass. I mean, Zandvoort could handle that. But if you look at the old, the, the footage of the old races for Monte Carlo, mm -hmm. they were running on the streets of Monte Carlo three wide in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Yeah. And they were able to do it because the cars were narrower. Well, they were like a meter wide. So maybe that's the answer, is narrower cars. Um, well, yeah. I think that what they really ought to do is evaluate these trucks that they you, quote, can't pass on mm -hmm. and create a narrow spec car. You know, you get the wide spec and the narrow spec. And any of the processional tracks are required to have a, a narrow spec car. So Monte Carlo becomes narrow spec. Could even be like, you know, a heritage race. I don't know. It could be interesting. Or we could possibly just have Alex Wirtz design a track. Ooh. He seemed, that was fascinating to listen to him and what he thinks about mm -hmm. as he's designing not just the track, but the whole venue. Yeah. Yeah, so, again, as much as we, we've been avoiding talking about some other podcasts, um, F1's Beyond the Grid 
with Formula Formula One driver and current GDPA president Alex Vertz. And him talking about tractors, because apparently he designs tracks. That's his company now does this. Yeah. And, and all of the things that he thinks about when it comes to designing a track. And not just designing a track, but making it a as part of the design, how that track can be a sustainable business entity. And that was what was fascinating, was you can't just think about one race. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I recommend that but only if you you know balance it out with your bloke in the bird listening it, it don't supplement or, or supplant you're listening to the bloke in the bird show hey moving on ferrari 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 um so mattia Bonotto. so even though ferrari does not have a chance of winning the constructors and neither of ferrari's drivers will be winning the driver's championship this year um there's been some question of you know maybe ferrari should start looking at the 2020 car they maybe it's about time to just write off the season because you're not gonna you're not gonna really gain anything Mm -hmm. and start looking at 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 next year well according to mattia bonotto yeah no it's not time to do that okay um he says now some of this is because he says that there there's really not any change in the rules between 19 and 20. So stopping development on the 19 car to focus on 20, it's not really going to matter all of that much. Um, but he did say that they are trying to figure out when they need to start and, and how they need to start allocating resources toward 2021. Mm. Of course, made even harder by the fact that they haven't agreed to any rules yet. And they really need to do that. <laughs> they can't allocate resources until they get rules. But I assure you that Mercedes has already allocated resources. Well, they have. Um, now, Ferrari has also acknowledged, as we had mentioned a little earlier, they have acknowledged um, where their weakness is on the car. So what Ferrari focused on for this year is they focused on the top speed of the car. Okay. And they reduced downforce in order to gain the higher top speed with the thought being of that that will allow them to close the gap to Mercedes. Mercedes, as we mentioned, went in a completely different way. And instead of looking at top speed, which is what they've done in the past, started looking at being faster in the corners. Ferrari has removed enough downforce from the car that they are so much slower in the corners that it's hurting. I bet. Dramatically. So they have now admitted that, yeah, they probably should have focused more on downforce for this car. <laughs> probably would have been a good idea. Might have been the way to do that. Which, of course, makes me wonder of, okay, if you are refusing to turn your attention to 2020 at this point, and you've realized that this design is not the design to bring with you to 2020. You need to come up with something better with more downforce. Um, when are you going to work that out? Oh, I'm sure they have a boffin that's going to do it. Yeah. Back of an envelope. Yeah. I mean, at it, it, some point, I mean, they know what's wrong with this car. Well, and maybe what they really mean that we're not ready to bag 2019 is that they know what's wrong with it. How do they fix that so that they go into 2020 with a better downforce? And again, that starts to set them up for 2021, which we did remember, we don't have the rules yet. Yeah. Now, over at McLaren, they've turned around and they've said that uh, they've actually started work on their 2020 car earlier in this year than they have in previous seasons. Well, and it's actually, to. well, yes and no. I mean, they're, they're doing much better than anybody expected. They are, they are solidly at the front of the mid-pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to um, team boss Andrea Seidel, all of the reorganization and stuff have really boosted the team, and it's allowed them to better allocate their resources. Now, one of the things that uh, Andrea says, and... and 
honestly shouldn't be a huge surprise, but given past history with McLaren, it kind of needs to be. Um, Andreas says that next year will be an evolution rather than a revolution for their design. Okay. Now, at first glance, that makes perfect sense. Again, last year, these current regulations, why do a major change to it? Tweak it, make it better, and move on for this last year. Except, if you'll remember, that, yeah, it was 2013 when McLaren released that car, and admittedly, it was a completely different leadership structure. Mm -hmm. From 2012 to 2013, that was the start of McLaren's downfall. And what happened in 2013? They made a major design change in the suspension of that car and how it worked, and they got it wrong. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't an evolution. So maybe they learned something. Maybe they've learned. It was, it was a push rod instead of a pull rod suspension. Cool. Or was it a pull rod? No, it was a push rod instead of a pull rod. Yeah, it was push versus pull. And they got it wrong. Everybody else on the grid was on a pull. Well, except in 2012, Ferrari, and I think they'd been doing it for a couple of years before, had been running the, the, the push rod suspension. Mm-hmm. And as everyone said, if you get it right, it's worth about half a second. If you get it wrong, it's going to cost you over a second. And Ferrari abandoned it for 13. Because they still hadn't gotten it right. Well, they hadn't gotten it as right as they could. Right. So. I'm not saying it was wrong. I'm saying it was less right. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So now we go to rumor and speculation and, and all of that stuff. Okay. So. Word came out actually... Last week, the end of last week, and we ignored it because it was kind of rumory, but supposedly, according to Dr. Helmut Marco, Fernando Alonso approached the Red Bull organization to state his availability for the 2020 Formula One season. I'm sure. Now, as you'll remember, last year, the did he or didn't he approach Red Bull about driving for them? Mm-hmm. with some people saying, well, yeah, he did, and others saying, no, he didn't, and Christian Horner saying, we wouldn't hire him. He's not in our philosophy for drivers, period. Mm-hmm. Well, according to Helmut Marco, he stated his availability, and Helmut didn't really say how they took it, other than the fact that he's letting it loose to the press that Fernando came to approach them. There's another rumor that's been flying around. This one, according to Spanish newspaper Mundo Deportivo, that is claiming that Red Bull offered Fernando the chance to replace Pierre for the second half of this season. Interesting. I don't know. Okay, so trying to figure out fact from fiction with these two very conflicting stories... The BS flag is kind of high for both of them. Yes. So I figured out what happened that Dr. Marco has come out and said that Fernando uh, gave them his availability. I have figured out what that really is. I can't figure out the other side of it. So let me give you my story. Okay. Because I think this actually falls into place. This will explain even last year. I have a feeling that Fernando and or Fernando's people send a letter to all the Formula One teams <laughs> stating that Fernando Alonso will be available for the 2020 season. All teams but McLaren. Well, yeah. Um, and would be interested in discussing with your people should you have a need for a driver. Some sort of, you know, how awesome is is he? Therefore, it makes Helmut's comment perfectly reasonable. He has shared his availability along with the other side of this of saying, 
He's offered it up, but we didn't take it. So as you put that scenario out there, I had, assuming it was true. Which it naturally is. I had the vision of how such a letter would have been received at Ferrari. Oh, do tell. <laughs> oh, do tell. Well, I, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of laughter. Mm. Um, probably some folks in tears. From laughter. Uh-huh. Not because they were distraught. Uh-huh. Maybe it was passed around the plant quite a bit. <laughs> Put up on the board next to the Dilbert cartoons. Um, but ultimately probably ended up in the shredder. Possibly. Either that or it's with the toilet paper. I don't know. <laughs> the Italians are a little persnickety. Feisty. Yes. Feisty. So I'm just say, suggesting that perhaps the letter went out that shared his availability. It's being used as napkins at the Montana restaurant. That is definitely possible. And for those of you that don't know, the Montana is the Italian restaurant that all the Ferrari people go to. Mm-hmm. So, now, how does that translate into what is the real story behind the Spanish side suggesting that Fernando was offered the last half of the season to replace Pierre Gasly? I don't know. Yeah. So... According to the Spanish newspaper, this is their reporting, Red Bull contacted Alonso in Silverstone to offer him the place of Pierre Gasly. It was not Fernando who made the offer to Red Bull. It was the team led by Christian Horner who was interested in the approach. And I am assuming that the translation here means that it was Christian Horner's team and not Christian Horner leading the team to say, to pick up the phone and call Fernando. Because mm. I can't imagine in the slightest that Christian Horner would pick up the phone and go, hey, Fernando, want to come drive for us? No, no way. No, no, no. Now, according to the paper, the answer to the approach was none other than a resounding no. Mm. And again, if the other story is actually true... I don't buy this either. Yeah. Because if he's going to the teams and he's trying to shop himself around for 20, especially if he's shopping Red Bull around for 20, he wouldn't have turned them down for this year if they had come to him. I, I, I don't buy it. Not unless it's a, hey, it's a nine race gig, period, the end. No, no option on 20. We're not going to have you come back for 20. It's just finish this out for the year. Um, he could possibly, you know, if the terms were the problem, that could have killed the deal. Yeah. But the best I can come up with in my alternate reality stories where I can make this story be true but not true is that they were all walking around the garage at Silverstone and Fernando's talking to some buddies and somebody says, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if you come back over here and drive instead of Gasly because you're better than Gasly. And it's like one of his buddies that works for Red Bull or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I should have a new job of like how to take this, un unspin the spin. I well, could come up with alternate stories I know, for we could come things. up with all kinds of alternate stories. So while we're talking about Fernando's potential future for 2020. Zach Brown is saying that Fernando has yet to show interest in a full season of IndyCar competition. And I find that to be kind of interesting. Not from the perspective of that Fernando hasn't shown interest, but in how that was worded. And that there would have been a seat for him? Yeah. That, that thing of, well, if he showed interest, maybe we would let him do that for a full season. Which would have been very interesting since it's a Honda car and... No, it's a Chevy. It's a Chevy car. It's, it's a Chevy, so it would be allowed to do that. And it, that potentially could solve the Hinchcliffe problem. Correct. Yet, Fernando is not showing interest. Now, what Zach did say, however, is that 
Um, there will be conversations with Fernando the weekend of Monza. Mm. So he's not saying no entirely. Got it. He's just saying not right now. He's uh, He also has not ruled out the possibility of Fernando coming and driving a car for Indy 500 since they could run three or four cars if they wanted to. Right. So, I don't know. I think he'd have a better chance than the disaster that was this year. Well, there's that. But if he would run a full season of Indy, wouldn't he have a better chance at the 500? Because he would have had more practice on some ovals. Potentially, yes. But I don't see... And I don't think that that's the issue. I mean, Fernando's first run at Indy... Fifth place... Before the car burned up. But he also was on a... He was... There was just as strong a possibility of him winning that race as um, Sato as anybody else because he had driven that and he had led it for, for a good stretch too. It was when that car blew up, that's what ended it. So there was still a possibility that he could have won it that year. Mm-hmm. And in this past year was a joke, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know he wants the triple crown. I think he should, I think he should drive a whole season of Indy for no other reason than I think it would be completely possible for him to not just get the triple crown, but also to win the Indy championship. And I think that's the thing. If you want to turn around and, and you want to lay claim to one of the greats, and yes, if, if you've won multiple F1 championship or, or driver's championships, you are an excellent driver, period. Mm-hmm. But if you truly want to be one of the greatest, okay, he's already won the, the title over at WEC, then, yeah, you start looking at not just doing Indianapolis, but trying to do IndyCar and take on all of these other ones. And if you think you're so much better, well, okay, look at how many Formula One drivers, former Formula One drivers, who have struck it out in IndyCar and done extremely well. Right. Show that you're just as good and, and it, you know, that if it's got four wheels, you can win it and come over and do a season. Yeah. I'm with you. Now, while we're on the topic of, of IndyCar, we're going to drift away from IndyCar. Kinda. Oh, I was going to go segways for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> well, where I was going to go was word has come out that Alexander Rossi and James Hinchcliffe have partnered together uh, to head to Australia. They have a wild card entry to compete in the 2019 Super cheap auto Bathurst 1000 for Walkinshaw Andretti United in collaboration with Andretti Autosport and United Autosports. That's going to be October 10th to the 13th. So what is this super cheap challenge? Um, well, I, super cheap, I believe, is just... It, it's super cheap auto. Mm-hmm. I believe they're a sponsor like NTT or Chevy or Honda. Um, but it's more the Bathurst 1000, which is... One of these, well, it is supposed to be a legendary race in Australia. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's basically an Australian version of Indianapolis Weekend. Oh. That kind of a race. Um, they'll be running a Holden ZB Commodore, um, which will be number 27. Uh, it'll be the third car, and I don't have the details on... The Bathurst here. I, it's a high-profile race for Australia. It's, it's one of the ones that folks want to try and do. It doesn't, obviously, it doesn't have the cachet of Indianapolis, but it's a big deal down there. Okay. So, so this weekend, IndyCar returned for the ABC Supply 500 at Pocono. And just like last year, big accident. Somebody hurt? The, the good news is that everybody seems to be okay. But on the first lap, 
um, was a, a crash that took out uh, basically the top five, oh. including uh, Alexander Rossi, who in his, disturbing his charge from second to possibly win the, the championship. Uh. Um, but again, a car was put into the fence at Pocono. Um, unlike last year and Robert Wicken's crash, uh, the body of the car did not lift up into the post. It was like the front end and the sides that dragged along. Um, so there wasn't a major injury, but yeah, once again, Pocono, a major, major incident over there. So we've had Wiccans get paralyzed. We had this incident. We had, uh, uh, what was it, Dan, a couple, a couple of years ago, the British driver. Who got killed? That was I, debris flying around the, the uh, tire that hit him in the head, and the Formula One drivers were his pallbearer for that one. I know who you're talking about. I can't come up with the name. Yeah, and of course, if I, we had a production team, they'd add it in post. I know, but we don't, so they won't. I know, Justin Wilson, Dan, nothing. Yeah, I know. It's Justin. I, I was thinking of Dan Gurney, who was killed in Vegas. Got it. Justin Wilson in 2015. Now, I don't want to say that this is a dangerous track and maybe they shouldn't go there, but there seems to be a lot of incidents going on in Pocono. I think it's the champagne bathtubs. At the track? Well, it's the Poconos. I'm sure they're at the track. They're everywhere. It's all over all of the advertising <laughs> at the Poconos. <laughs> Beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. All you have to bring is your love of everything. Yes, thank exactly. you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> so, yeah, on that note, I think we'll call it a show. On the Mount Airy Lodge? Yes. <laughs> Add? Okay. Now is the perfect time, and the season is just right. You can play all day and dance into the night. are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. <laughs>